Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is the 124th Psalm and may be found on page 560 and 561 of your pew Bible. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then, <clears throat> then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 35 through 50. So listen now for the word of God to the church. Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Parts of this passage are a little difficult to read and hear, and I 
realize it's a little ironic to have a sermon entitled The Kids Are Watching and Presumably Listening, and then say a word that most of them would kind of say that we're not supposed to say, you know, and read read that three or four times. But I think this uh, passage is a lot more about kids than it is about anything else we might hear. Mark, like the other gospel writers, makes it pretty clear that Jesus likes kids. And we see this clearly in the story of the people who brought the little children to Jesus so he could touch them, to have only to have the disciples try to shut them out and shut them down and shoo them away with stern words and voices. The children had not angered Jesus But the negative reaction of the disciples did. Let the little children come to me, he said indignantly, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. So not only does Jesus like kids, but he lifts kids up as models and exemplars of true faith. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is not something that we build or prop up with adult ingenuity and sophistication, but rather something we receive with humility, innocence, dependence, and openness and wonder. One way that we can learn from kids when it comes to faith is how readily and joyfully they receive it. When they hear that God loves them, they do not question why. They do not fret about whether they deserve it or not. They just embrace that good news. I once heard the preacher Tony Campolo tell a story about a father who lived in a small Midwestern town, and the man had a daughter, Janice. Janice couldn't have been more than four or five years old. And one morning, a huge thunderstorm came over the house, the kind that uh, the flashes of lightning are almost immediately followed by massive thunderclaps that seem to be right on top of you and rattle the walls and the windows and kind of make your hair stand on end. It was the biggest storm that this father could remember, and he was worried. He was worried that his little daughter might be really scared. So uh, the father hopped out of bed, and he ran upstairs to go and check on her. When he opened the door to her room, he did not find her cowering under the covers. He found her standing on the windowsill, pressing her body up to the glass about as close as she could get. Rain was pelting that window, and flashes of lightning were popping all around. And he said, Janice, what what are you doing? She said, hang on, Dad. I think God is trying to take my picture. Children do not tend to fret over the hows and whys of love, which allows them to give love and receive love more freely. I think that's one of the main reasons that Christ lifts children up as models for how we come to faith. But there's also the sense in which children may actually understand the deeper meanings of love better than adults. If you doubt that, I would want you to just listen to a few of these things that children who were interviewed about love, these are things that they said, they actually said about love. Love is when you go out to eat 
and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Love is when you tell someone something bad about yourself and you're scared they won't love you anymore. But then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, they love you even more. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. So we really shouldn't be all that surprised that Jesus uses the tenderness and vulnerability and innocence of little children to teach us adults a thing or two about love and faith. And in our reading this morning, we find Jesus once again employing a little child in his education of adults. The text literally says Jesus took a little child and put it in the midst of them. The child was the central illustration. The child was the object lesson whom Jesus used to teach adults how to find the door of heaven. Welcome him, Jesus says. And you welcome me, and not only me, but the one who sent me. The adults, however, in this story do not seem all that impressed. In their opinion, it seems, they have bigger fish to fry. They do not have time for childhood games. They have an agenda. They have a question. They have a problem that they want to solve, and they are looking to Jesus for answers. It seems that some rogue Christian had been casting out demons in the name of Jesus without asking permission first. Apparently, this man had not gone through the appropriate vetting process. The proper committee had not given him the go-ahead to do it. He had not consulted with the right people beforehand. So the disciples, once again, tried to shut it down. And Jesus does answer their question, and his answer is essentially this. Give him a break. This guy is not hurting our work. This guy is helping our work. And he's helping our work because he's helping other people in my name. But Jesus does not linger on that lesson. Instead, he returns immediately to the child. And Jesus goes on to spend a lot more time and energy with a lot more authority and power talking about that little child than he does dealing with the adult's demon-busting question. There's something more important at stake here, Jesus says, and it has everything to do with this little child, this little child whom I have placed in your midst. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believes in me, Jesus warns, it'd be better for you for a big old rock to be tied around your neck and for you to be thrown into the sea. Now, From a structural standpoint, biblical scholars would call this framing. An adult problem at the center is framed on either side by a little child. And this framing is intentional. Jesus put that child there, and he put that child there for a reason. 
So I think as readers and receivers of the word, we are supposed to realize that the adult issue in question, however important it may have seemed to the disciples, is hemmed in, surrounded on all sides by Christ's ultimate concern for children. So Jesus answers the adult question, but he really gives more energy to the lesson around him. It's more around that lesson. It's more important to Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying, all right, adults, be careful. The kids are watching. Late in the evening on Easter Sunday in 2012, two young men were gunned down in a drive-by shooting in Rocky Mount. North Carolina. Both men were 22 years old. Both men were African American. Both of them were victims of drug and gang violence that was on the rise in the city at the time. And the faith community tried to rally around this loss and come together as best it could. And I, as the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Rocky Mountain at the time, was invited by local Christian leaders to be among the pastors who would help to preside over the funeral service. On the day of the funeral, it took me a while to find the church. I'm embarrassed to say that. It was a congregation I'd never heard of. It was on a street I'd never heard of. It was in a part of town I had rarely visited. I was struck by the sadness of that. Because when I walked into this sanctuary, it was very obvious that this was a significant church in the community. It was a large, beautifully appointed space with a big central chancel area up front. And it was a good thing that it was a big chancel area because about 25 to 30 pastors had been invited to be part of this service. And we were all seated up there in one long line across the front. And from this elevated platform, we looked out over the 700 people or more who were seated in the sanctuary. And then we saw hundreds of others who were still filing in because there was a visitation at the beginning. They were filing in to view the open caskets of these two young men, these two boys, essentially, at the front of the church. And I remember very well sitting up there and watching very closely as family after family made the somber walk by these two young men who had been so violently struck down in the prime of their lives. And I watched as grown women crumpled to the ground, crying and wailing. I watched as adult men broke down in tears, overwhelmed by their sorrow. And I watched as people from the pews dutifully came forward to lift grieving family members literally off the floor and carry them to seats. I'd never seen anything remotely like it. It was an active, full-bodied, corporate expression of overwhelming grief. It didn't take me long, however, for my attention to shift to something else that I had missed at first, something else that was happening, something less obvious but no less disturbing, and that was the children. I had almost missed the fact that they were there, but I realized that there were children everywhere of every age and stage, boys in little suits, 
little girls in pretty little Sunday dresses, babies cuddled in their mother's arms, and not one of them was making a sound. Only once in the entire service do I recall hearing a baby cry, and then only for the briefest moments. All of these kids were completely silent, and all of them were just standing there with their eyes wide open, as big as saucers. And they weren't looking at the caskets, and they weren't really looking around at this room full of people. What they were looking at, what all of them were looking at, was the adult standing next to them. And it was obvious these kids had no idea what was going on, that they were completely confounded. But whatever it was, they knew it wasn't good. Whatever it was, they knew that it was scary. And in their innocence, in their vulnerability, they did the only thing they could think of to do. They looked up at their parents and their aunts and their uncles, the men and women who were holding onto their hands in this line of grief. And I watched as these kids silently pleaded with their eyes, can you tell me what this means? Please show me what to do. I don't think that I've ever seen such a concentrated period of learning in my entire life. What those children did not know at the time is that in that moment, those parents and elders did not see themselves as very capable teachers. Sure, they were older and more experienced. Sure, they had a greater familiarity with the ways of the world. But there, in that place, in that place of deep grief, they really had nothing. And it was a powerful reminder that we really never stop being children at least in the eyes of God, and at least in the, uh, in the ways that matter most to faith. And the fact of the matter was that the inner child in every one of those adults, the most vulnerable, innocent, tender, and loving parts of those adults that had never gone away, that needed nothing more in that moment than to have the loving arms of God, their divine parent, wrap around them, and they didn't need anything to stop them or hinder them from coming to Jesus right then. Paul wrote that when he was a child, he spoke like a child, and he thought like a child, and he reasoned like a child, but when he became an adult, he put an end to childish ways. And I do believe we are absolutely called and expected to mature in our faith, to grow up in our thinking and in our reasoning. But I also think that there are aspects of childhood that God really does not want us to lose. If that were not so, Jesus never would have taken a child and placed it right in the midst of the disciples of all those adults. And Jesus never would have said, if you really want to make it into the kingdom of heaven, you got to do it like this kid. You have to be like this little child. You have to approach the kingdom of heaven just like this little child. In the kingdom of God, there seems to be a very real difference between being childish and childlike. Childish ways are immature, infantile, juvenile, silly, foolish. If we say someone's acting in a childish way, what we're really saying is we think you ought to grow up a little bit. On the other hand, to have a childlike 
sensibility, to maintain a childlike faith, to hold on to a childlike hope and share a childlike kind of love. These are actually very, very good things in the eyes of God. So this lesson that Jesus offers to the disciples, this lesson embodied by this little child, means no less to us today than it did for those original disciples and those other adults who were working really hard to build up the early church. Because just like they did, I think we can get so tied up in our adult agendas about how we should be doing things, or how somebody else is doing something in Christ's name and it might be wrong, or that the the church should change this or that, this policy, that approach. We get so wrapped up in those things with our adult minds that I do think we forget that there are children watching. And by that I mean there are children of God of every age. Children who are struggling to hold on to that elusive idea that the road to heaven might just be paved with childlike honesty and innocence and purity and love. Those of you who are parents know very well that one of the greatest restraints that we have on our own behavior is the awareness that the kids are watching, right? It makes us flip the channel when something crude or violent comes on TV. It makes us think twice about our words when we're upset. It reminds us that in so many ways, our children are looking to us as patterns of behavior and looking upon us as teachers in the art of life, looking at us with these eyes wide open and this unspoken need and hope. Please tell me what all of this means. Please show me what I'm supposed to do. And this lesson is surely just as important in the church as it is outside of the church. One of my Christian education professors in seminary was kind of famous for a key phrase that she would find a way to work into every class that she had. I doubt there are any students in the last 20 years that have come through her classes that didn't hear her say this at one time or another. And when she said it to my class, it kind of stuck there immediately because you really cannot deny the inherent wisdom of these words. And these are the words she would share. Everything the church does teaches. It might be something good. It might be something not so good. It might be something honorable. It might be something not so honorable. But everything the church does says something and teaches something. And it's kind of a scary thought and a sobering thought because it makes us think that we should be doubly careful about how we go about the business of being church. It should make us very careful about how we talk to each other and how we talk about each other. It should make us pay special attention to how we value one another and maybe how we're not valuing one another, to how we're trusting each other or maybe how we're not trusting each other. 
And it should cause us to consider carefully those things in the church and in the world that we're kind of tolerating and allowing to continue. Because most likely you agree with me that there's a lot in the world right now that's not so great that we are tolerating or at least not challenging in any way. We have to be careful in all of these ways and in all of these things. And Jesus reminds us of that lesson by taking a little child and putting it right in the midst of us and saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have a lot to learn from this little child. So Jesus puts that child in the midst of us and reminds us you and me as children of God, that all of the children of God, no matter what age they may be, are watching. Thanks be to God. Amen.